For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Sorry, we um, turned on the heat here for the first time in nine months, and that's why the air is that sort of dry, burnt, dusty kind of thing that's making us all cough, and hopefully it will have kind of cleared itself out by next week, so I apologize about that. Um, The question I want to try and answer this morning through this sermon and through unpacking Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, is a a bit unusual for a sermon, because what I want to sort of unpack together is, why do we preach sermons at all? which is a good question, I think, to ask. Why are sermons preached at church? What's this all about? Really, what is a sermon for? So, uh, kind of stepping out of the ordinary stream of things in some way where there's just sermon, uh, sermon preaching and then looking at, well, what is that thing that we do every time when we gather in church? I preach a sermon and you graciously listen to a sermon. What are we doing? Um, in order to get to that answer, we need to begin as it's always good to begin with, the definition of terms. So when we read in Hebrews chapter 4, the word of God is living and active, what is meant by the word of God? There's actually three right answers. Non-rhetorical question. What is meant by the word of God? Pardon? The Bible. I think that's one of the meanings. The Bible, yep. What else is contained in the meaning of the word of God? Jesus, right? Yep, Christ, the word of God. As we know most plainly from the prologue of John's gospel, right? The word of God. Um, took, became flesh and dwelt among us. So Christ, the Bible, is there any other meaning of the word of God attached? Into the, uh, learning. What's that? Learning. Learning, yeah, learning. And, and specifically sort of the sending side of learning, the, the preaching of the word of God. That when we look at how that phrase, because when Hebrews was written, they did have some of the writings that we now recognize that sort of clearly as divinely inspired and as the New Testament. But he's actually, the, the writer of Hebrews is, writing Hebrews while the rest of the New Testament is still in the process of being written. So it's not just the Bible. Now the phrase here in the Greek, it is the logos of God, but it's also the word preached. So when we talk about the word of God, there's kind of three levels, but they all interact as you see. So the word of God, the the sort of arch meaning in the scriptures, um, is the communication of God, right? That's what it means, the word, the message, the communicating of God, and the core, the heart of all that is Jesus Christ. Right? The ultimate communication of God, the word of the Father, emanate, the Son emanating for, or um, being begotten from the Father and then coming into the world in Jesus Christ to make the Father known. The word of God is Christ Jesus. And then the Bible is all about the word of God, right? So we have the word of God incarnate, Jesus Christ, and then the word of God written, which is the writings about Jesus Christ on both sides, right? The Old Testament pointing towards Christ and the New Testament reflecting back on Christ. So we have the Word of God incarnate, the Word of God written, and then lastly we have the Word of God preached. The message of God, the communication of God, which should always be based on the Scriptures, come out of the Scriptures, which themselves are all focused on Christ Jesus. So you see there's three meanings which are distinct, but yet, do you see how they kind of all are in, interwoven together? And they're all sourcing back to the, the communication of God uh, manifest in Jesus Christ. So keeping that in view, see the, the richness of this simple verse. The word of God is living and active. 
Right? Take it at each level. The Word of God incarnate is alive and active, as we've been reading about in Hebrews, as ministering to us as our great high priest. The Word of God is living and active. The Bible, too, is living and active. It is a living text because it was written by the Spirit of Christ in dwelling and guiding the apostles and the prophets who wrote those words. And the first thing that the writer of Hebrews um, draws out about this word of God, I think is actually, maybe it's not the first thing we would have drawn out. He says it's sharp. right? I think most people, when we talk about the scriptures, we like to think about the comfort and the promises. But the he- writer of Hebrews, the, the Holy Spirit says, the word of God is, is sharp. Right? Is it pleasant to touch something that's sharp? No. But is it good for things to be sharp? I'm glad the few times I've gone under the knife that a surgeon's scalpel is sharp. Right? Sharp is not necessarily bad, but it's different than just pleasant. By the way, a little aside, Augustine sort of mused, maybe the Holy Spirit inspired this phrase, um, two-edged sword, to indicate the two testaments of the Bible, the old and the new. kind of like that as a figure. Um, but the point that the Hebrews is bringing forward um, is that a two-edged sword is able to pierce. Right? That's what it goes on to say, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. A single-edged sword, now I don't know this, I've never wielded a sword, but from what I see from movies about medieval times, a single-edged sword is only good for hacking. A double-edged sword can pierce. Pierce to the division between soul and spirit. Um, that phrase... Uh, is a little hard to understand, I think. One of the possible meanings, which I think is probably the meaning, is that where is the distinction between soul and spirit in a human being? Right? It's very hard to tell. It's actually beyond our knowing. It's kind of opaque to us. So I think what's being teased out here is that the Bible actually can sort of get, sort of describe ourselves more accurately than we can describe ourselves. I don't know where my soul starts and my spirit stops and where that is, but God does, the mind of God does, and the word of God could make such a fine distinction. But same thing between joint and marrow, right? That the word of God is really precisely pointed. It's coming into exactly what it needs to. As it says, to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The heart in the Bible is both the source of the sort of the um, the organ of thinking, right? They kind of when they said heart, they didn't just mean sort of your the thing that's beating your blood, they, they meant sort of the part of you that is thinking and willing and having a, you know, affection, like it was a, the kind of the locus of, of your humanness. Right? And so that's why it says the, the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, your intellect and your will, the Bible can pierce into the whole thing, all of, it, all of us. It can lay us, um, puts everything out there on the mat, calls a spade a spade. As it says, it goes on to say in verse 13 of Hebrews, No creature is hidden. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And that's connected, that the word of God, like this imagery of a sword kind of piercing and and slicing, um, it cuts us open. It lays us bare before God. And here's where we see that the word of God written, the Bible, and the word of God incarnate are connected because when the word of God written cuts you open, you're actually brought existentially, spiritually, into the presence of God, in Christ Jesus. So the word actually transports us, actually sort of cuts us open to be seen and known by God, and to see and know ourselves 
before God. Right? To not just sort of muddle along in life like, hmm, I'm defined by childhood events and the career I chose and the things I'm proud of, but to actually have the sword say, no, you're defined by the righteousness that you've been given in Christ Jesus. And if you choose away from him, also then by your sins, which we need to repent of to receive his forgiveness afresh. Right? The scriptures are the things that actually slices through the fluff of life, um, cuts us bare before God. To use the other language of the scriptures, the scriptures are lights, right? There's a, a spotlighting effect. It's, we think of it as us reading the Bible, but I've heard great teachers say, no, in a way it's more accurate to say the Bible is reading us. Right? It's searching us out, shining light into our darkness. That's, I think, another biblical language for describing the sword that pierces into the heart. It brings us face to face with the living God, which is an amazing and, according to the scriptures, a terrifying and wonderful thing all at once. So having said that, um, let me ask you a question. Please don't answer aloud, but, but honestly, how many of you, when you crack open a Bible, have that experience of just like a sword piercing your heart open and kind of coming before God like Job did at the end of the book of Job? Um, I hope some of you have this experience sometimes on a regular basis, but I would guess that for most of us, it's kind of rare. That actually, when I crack the Bible, it's like, okay, that's kind of interesting, or oh, there's something to think about there. Right? It's not this sort of like, whoa, every time. Um, and I, I think the reason is the Word of God is unequivocally a sword, but we, slippery humans that we are, try and can dodge the sword, right? Either by just completely ignoring the Word of God, meaning not reading it at all, not listening to it, um, or even if the sword is coming at us, we have all these shields we like to throw up, right? Like, well, maybe this was just a different, this was the Old Testament. Or, well, maybe this, doesn't, this one doesn't apply to me. Well, there's probably some exceptions to this, right? Like we try and, we try and block the sword. And um, God's given us the terrible ability to do that, right? We actually can resist the word of God. Um, it's part of the, um, the pilgrimage of this human life, that because we are still in process, still being sanctified and transformed, we yet still have some deformities in terms of our spiritual state, uh, which, which want to avoid the word of God as it comes at us. What's to be done? Um, well, this is where we come back around to preaching. Um, the word of God preached. God commanded his ministers to preach in both the Old and the New Testament. I think to really um, assist the church in coming, working against our dodges, working against the, the shields we might put up, our avoidance of the word of God. I know there have been times in my life where in wandering from God or distraction, I might go all week without actually cracking open the scriptures, and then so Sunday is a chance to hear it again, right? a, fresh, a fresh chance. And it's the job of the preacher to sort of fight and parry against our defenses. And, and it, it really, in the best case, it's not just sort of the preacher preaching at the people, but preaching to himself as well. Like the, the preacher is under the same, we're under the same command, the same charge, we're all under the scriptures together, but to try and take that sword and kind of try and plunge it into all of our hearts. That's what preaching should be done. And let me say here, it's, it is an independent thing from the qualities of the preacher. Thanks be to God. <laughs> the ability to have the word pierce the heart is the Holy Spirit's work done through human preaching, right? 
preachers come in all shapes and sizes of different ideas and different things. But as long as they're being faithful to the Word of God and bringing it forward, it gives the Holy Spirit the chance to sort of drive that sword home. That's the task of of preaching, to really hear the Bible. It's very interesting. It was pointed out um, in my studies that um, Hebrew, that Hebrew language, it doesn't have two different words for to hear and to obey. There's just one word. They don't have two words, and that word is Shema. Like, you, you know, the, you hear the Shema, hear O Israel. So if you wanted to say to your child, obey me, you would just say, hear me. There was the say, they would say Shema. It, it's the only word they have, because hearing and obedience in a biblical paradigm are interlocked. So the task of preaching is to make us hear the word so that we might obey it. Um, that's why uh, the thing that is useful in preaching is how much it brings forth the Word of God that we can hear. So, again, I realize this is odd to be preaching about preaching as, as I'm doing it, but I think it's important because I think there's a way we can think that, oh, well, this is just some guy's ideas, and at its worst, it, it can be that. But one of the things that preaching should do, and, I, and may I always do this, and I invite you to correct me when I don't, is to make a clear distinction between when the Bible is urging us something plainly, I want to urge it plainly. And when there's something where this is kind of my idea, or here's a thought, or a possibility, or something to consider, it's exactly that. And in as much as it's of Ben, well, you can think about it and cast it aside, that's neither here nor there. In as much as the things that I want to preach are straight from the Word of God, and wanting to be plain about what the Scripture is plain about, well, then it's worth considering beyond just my words, because they're not just my words, right? I'm wanting to bring forth the scripture, as all preaching should, and, and it mostly does. And then it has to be taken more seriously in terms of deliberation. If, it, if, it, if it's sharp, um, if it's uh, painful, actually what's interesting is the scripture actually assumes it sort of will be when Paul charges Timothy to preach. He says, preach the word. He says, three things you need to do when you preach. Rebuke, reprove, and exhort. Those are the only three things. Those are, I mean, it's not nice to be reproved or rebuked, right? It's actually right. If I'm ever irritating or you don't like what I'm preaching, it could be there is a good chance it's because I have done something poorly, um, in which case, thank you for bearing with me. It also could be that the word of God is sharp, and it's like, ouch, I'd rather not hear that word. But if we claim the name of Christ, we can't ever reject the word of God written. Right? You can figure out stuff with a preacher, but the word of God written, that can't just be sort of, ah, well, I don't want that. If it's from the, the Bible, we have to receive it. And, it, and it's often sharp. Um, and that's why I preach. That's why preaching has been commanded in the church, why it's carried on in every building right now around the country. Right? There's sermons happening all over. And it's not because the church thought this was just some good idea, like, well, we need something to listen to. Uh, it's because God realized that not realized, God, man, God created, God mandated that it's in preaching that the words on the page can be sort of brought home to be living and active, right? that the sword can get to our hearts. And one of the catalysts there is uh, application. Right? The scriptures were written and then given to the church to apply in all different lives, in all different contexts, in all parts of the world, and different things, different needs come up and arise differently in life and cultures. And it's for the preachers to figure out how, how does this apply, to prayerfully present that. Um, and the reason why is because if obedience is the end goal, there's nothing to obey in an idea, 
right? If preaching is just ideas and doctrines, what do we do about that? Truth needs to be applied. And I, I want to end this sermon with the words of one of the great preachers of the 20th century, um, so you can hear great preaching. A.W. Tozer, a Methodist pastor up in Chicago, um, he wrote this, writes this about why application in preaching is so important. Um, he says, There's scarcely anything so dull and meaningless as Bible doctrine taught for its own sake. Truth divorced from life is not truth in its biblical sense, but something else and something less. The Bible is more than a volume of facts about God, man, and the universe. It's a book of exhortation based upon those facts. By far, the greater portion of the book is devoted to an urgent effort to persuade people to alter their ways and bring their lives into harmony with the will of God as set forth in its pages. No man is better for knowing that God in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. The devil knows that. And so did Ahab and Judas Iscariot. No man is better for knowing that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to die for their redemption. In hell, there are millions that know that. Theological truth is useless unless it is obeyed. The purpose behind all doctrine is to secure moral action. Read that last bit again. Theological truth is useless unless it is obeyed. The purpose behind all doctrine is to secure moral action. That's what sermons are for. That's why God created preaching and preachers and sermons to bring out his scriptures, to secure moral action. So I offer this sermon um, as sort of a touchstone, a thing to consider for all other sermons, right? that we would sort of maybe actively engage uh, in maybe a slightly different way. One of the things I do anytime I get to sort of sit in the pew and, and get to hear a sermon is I pray right at the beginning, Lord, please speak to me something from this sermon. Right? That maybe the specific thing might be far from the mark from what he's preaching towards uh, in my life or whatnot, but to be coming out and saying, Lord, please use these human words to cut open my heart with your word. And often there's sermons about some topic over here, but there's something that he says that the Holy Spirit then drives home and it's just that one more degree of transform, transformation into the likeness of Christ, that securing of moral action to be striven for in the day-to-day. -day. Amen.